Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Well, you know, my kid left home and they're an adult now and they just haven't been following God and I told them they'd get in trouble and sure enough, they're in trouble and they call last night and I don't even want to talk to them on the phone. Would Jesus talk to them on the phone? Yeah. Remember the prodigal? His arms were open. Oh, but God, man, I mean, I told him and they just... Would he do it? Yeah. So see, if you'll listen to God, he'll change your desire and then give you the power to obey him. And that really happens in your quiet time in the time where God speaks to you through His Word. Pastor Mark will continue today to teach us that when we walk with God, we'll avoid hell. But what does it mean to walk with God? Does it mean that we attend church, speak the right words, tithe and volunteer our time? Well, sure, none of these things are bad. However, they don't mean that you're walking with God. Understand that walking with God means that we're submitted to Him. We listen for His voice, we study His Word, and we're empowered by His grace to do what He says. We follow the leading of His Spirit, and we consider His Word to be the final authority in our lives. Walking with God means that you walk according to what He says, and not what man says. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 42, with the conclusion of our message entitled, Walk with God and Avoid Hell. You see, it's just a matter of ifs and choices. And Jesus says it's going to take some drastic action in your life. And by the way, you and I are the one that do that. So what's Jesus saying is this. If you're here this morning and you're in a relationship, if you're a Christian, you're dating a non-Christian, it's wrong. You say, what do you mean it's wrong? Well, if you keep dating, you will marry that person. And you will then be unequally yoked. It doesn't say specifically to date an unbeliever is wrong, but you know the path you go to. So Jesus is saying to you this morning, be careful of your dating relationships. If you're here this morning and you're just looking out for the claims of Christ to see if things are right or whatever, and you're living with somebody and you love them and you plan to get married, but you hear that the Word of God says it's wrong, cut off the relationship. Christian, this morning in your home, if there's magazines that you'd be ashamed that anybody else knew you looked at, or if you're stopping at a place on the way home from work and you're in a video store and you're popping in and you're watching garbage. Or if you walk out of the movie and it's X-rated. By the way, just PG-13 is something you have to be very careful of today. You shouldn't be going in. Now, I'm going to harp on you for a moment because I believe it's true. You shouldn't be going into movies that are filled with four-letter words and people sleeping around in frontal nudity all and say, well, just a few things. It's no big deal. It is a big deal. And we're not here talking about sin, but that kind of stuff will destroy your life. It's not wholesome. And if things you're watching on television are just for homosexuals or whatever, God says homosexual is a sin. He hates it. So don't be playing around with this stuff. Jesus said, watch your life. We're not people sitting here saying, here's the list again. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, be careful. Don't be stupid in your life. Because what you're doing, you're setting a pattern for other people. Now, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you say, well, praise God, I don't do any of those kind of things. I don't smoke, drink, chew, and go around with those people that do. I'm good. Well, how about your life? Is it filled with anger? 
bitterness? Do you treat people unfairly? Is there total unforgiveness in your heart? That's just as bad as the other things I just mentioned. So when those things come, if you're here this morning, you're bitter at somebody, Jesus says, cut it off. Stop it. Change your life. Because it will lead you to hell. Better to be hurting now and deal with the area of your life. I can't deal with the area of your life. I have to deal with my own area. Now, if you go to the surgeon and he says, I'm going to cut the arm off, and you say, okay, go ahead and cut it. Then you say to him, is it going to hurt? He might take you for another CAT scan. See if there's anything up there. Is it going to hurt? Sure, it's going to hurt. Certainly it's going to hurt. Now you say this morning, if I cut out this relationship with this person, if we separate and we have to go through marriage counseling and, and do it right, if I stop dating this person, I can't have this anger and bitterness anymore in this person. All these things, if I, you mean I got to throw away those magazines? Is it going to hurt? Sure it's going to hurt. You see, sin is fun for a season. Turn quickly to Philippians chapter 2.15. Now, you say, well, Pastor Mark, what do you mean cut it off? What does that mean? I've tried all my life to cut out sin in my life, and I can't by myself. You got it. You never can by yourself. So there's a scripture you should have underlined in your word that says this. Look at it. For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. So here's what it means. If you're a Christian, God's at work in your life. And the first thing He does, He says this, He'll give you the desire to obey Him. How many struggle even with that? I want to live my own life, my own way, don't you? Well, I know that isn't going to get me right. So God says, if you'll obey my word, I'll even change your, I use the word, wanter. He'll change your wanter to do what God wants you to do. Because my wonder is very selfish. I want to do it my way. But if I obey God and want to have Him change me, He'll change, first of all, my desire. Then secondly, He'll give me the power to do what pleases Him. Now, where does that process take place? <laughs> you knew I'd get to Time of journaling. Quiet time. In the morning. So when I'm before the Lord in the, the, Lord in the morning with the Word and prayer, He points out those areas that need to be cut off. The area where I yelled at somebody and I was wrong. And I have to go and say, I'm sorry. He says, good, cut it off because it'll ruin into bitterness if you don't. Well, it's going to hurt me to go admit I'm wrong. You got it. Go do it. Well, you know, I'm way at the beach in the weekend and man, these gals are over there and I, well, whatever. Or I'm a guy and these guys are over there and those, it was wrong, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Admit it. Cut it off. Well, you know, my child last night wanted to read the Word, but I just said I was just too tired. It was wrong, wasn't it? You discouraged him, didn't you? Yeah. I better do better. Go apologize. Read the Word to him. Challenge him. Put him on your lap like Jesus did. Love your kids. Well, you know, my kid left home, and they're an adult now, and they just haven't been following God, and I told them they'd get in trouble, and sure enough, they're in trouble. And they call last night, and I don't even want to talk to him on the phone. Would Jesus talk to him on the phone? Yeah. Remember the prodigal? His arms were open. Oh, but God, man, I mean, I told him and they just... Would he do it? Yeah. So see, if you'll listen to God, he'll change your desire and then give you the power to obey him. And that really happens in your quiet time, in the time where God speaks to you through his word. Now notice back in Mark, Jesus says at the end of all three of these statements, he says there's a term 
and we use it called hell, H-E-L-L. A recent Gallup poll said this in America, 60% of Americans believe in hell, so 40% don't. Of those 60%, 4% believe they would end up there. Hell is not a popular subject, is it? Except to joke about. I was driving the other day and I saw this in a car. I'm not sure what it meant. It said this. It was a bumper sticker. Hell was full, so I came back. I'm thinking, I'm not sure I want to drive behind this guy. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> you see, we joke about hell, but I want to tell you, when Jesus speaks about hell in this passage, he is not joking. So, Jesus isn't joking about hell, and that brings us to our third point, which is this. Walk with God and avoid hell. In verse 43, 45, and 47, Jesus starts off and he says this. It is better that you do this than end up in hell. He gives a recommendation times three. So, again, it's exaggeration or emphasis. It's better you do this three times than end up in hell at any cost. And he gives us the option of the two things in those verses, 43, 45, and 47. He says, the kingdom of God, or enter life, or enter life versus hell, fire, hell. So he says, there's a kingdom of God over here where there's real life. And then there's another kingdom over here, and it's called hell, and it's filled with fire. And then he goes on and he says, let me give you, a, it's better that you're here than you're here. So in other words, at the end of your life over there, you have two choices, heaven, life, or the other choice that he gives us here, hell. And he includes the word fire in his description of hell. But look at how he defines it further. Verse 48. Then Jesus says this, Where the worm does not die... And the fire is not quenched. So you have this great debate. What does that really mean? Is the fire always going to be there? Whatever is going to be there? I'll just tell you some things as I go through. I personally believe it's a literal fire. Some people don't. All I want to say is this. I don't care to ever find out. But I'll tell you some things. Hell is a place you do not want to go to. So he says, the worm does not die and fire is not quenched. The undying worm there to the disciples sent something that doesn't mean much to us. It says to them, this speaks of internal torment. Notice the word torment. The unquenchable fire there that Jesus uses speaks of external torment. Now when Jesus says in those three passages of scripture, hell, there's a number of words for hell in the Bible. The Greek word that he's using there is called Gehenna. And this was very familiar to the disciples, but not familiar to us. Gehenna referred to a valley just south of Jerusalem that's actually still there today. When you go to Jerusalem, if you go to Jerusalem with us, you'll see this valley of Hinnon. Now in this valley in the Old Testament days, people would come and worship their pagan gods, specifically the god of Moloch. And if you can believe this, it's true. Parents would bring their babies, their brand new babies, and put them on these gods that were with a fire built under them of metal and lay their babies on these gods and their babies would burn to death to sacrifice them to their god of Molech. This is the Old Testament. So this valley of Hinnon had a hell-like connotation, obviously, to the disciples. In Jesus' time, certainly that wasn't happening because the Jews at that particular time weren't pagan. Well, what was happening? It had now become the city garbage dump. And when Jesus mentioned the word hell, 
And you can see it there today, basically what it was like this. And you've driven by garbage dumps and you know what it's like. There was always a fire smoldering and the smell was nasty. And if you went into the garbage dump, in there with all these worms all the time, just crawling and dissolving stuff and whatever, where the worm never dies. And when the fire is unquenchable. So to you and I, it's a little hard to visualize it, but to the disciples, boom, the Valley of Hinnon came right to their face. And Jesus says there, this is a symbol of what hell's like. And it's a place of eternal waste. It shows us the end of a life of sin. You see, at the end, if you don't accept Jesus Christ, that's what you're headed toward, hell. One writer puts it like this. Sin causes you to end up on the garbage dump of life. A life totally wasted and thrown away for all eternity. Let me give you seven things about hell real quickly. They'll be on the overhead. You probably may not be able to write them all down now, but these are scriptural understandings of what we have of hell. You can get the tape. Number one, hell is a real place. Jesus believed in hell. He's talking about it. He's not talking about a concept. He believed in a real place called hell. Number two, hell is a place of judgment where there is eternal conscious punishment. In other words, it lasts forever. Number three, hell is a place of lost hope. There are no second chances. Some of you have been raised in a denomination or a religion that told you there's a place between heaven and hell, or this earth. A place where you can go and people can either pay for you to get out of, or people can pray you out of this intermediary place. There is no intermediary place. There is no purgatory. It's unscriptural. You will never find the concept ever in the Bible. It's a lie from Satan who wants you to defer making a decision for Jesus Christ until it's too late. When you take your last breath, wherever you are at that wall, if you're a born-again Christian, you go to heaven. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ and rejected Him, you go to hell. There is no intermediate place. That's why hell is a place without hope. There's no exit. There's no way to come back and give it a shot again. Number four, hell is a place of darkness, separation from God, loneliness, isolation, and rejection. Number five, hell is a place of fire and torment. You hear people all the time say, hey, my friends are going there, we're going to have a great party. It is not going to be a party place. Number six, hell is a place of extreme remorse and regret. Have you ever done something in your life and said, man, I wish I could go back, I'd never do that again. If you could just go back and not do that, that, whatever it was, the mistake you made. I deal with many couples that got pregnant out of wedlock. Oh, man, on that night. If... But you can't go back. This is, I believe, one of the greatest difficulties hell is going to be. And it's going to be this. I wish I'd made the choice to serve God. And, you know, for all your life, forever, you're going to be thinking, I could have, I should have, but I didn't. And you have nobody to blame but yourself. And that brings us to point number seven, which says this, hell is a place of choice. You see, the age-old question that we still hear today, and people say it, is this. Why would a loving God send someone to hell? Ever hear it? Here's the answer you can give them. 
God is a God of love. God sends no people ever to hell. Well, what do you mean? When hell was created, it was not created for people. Hell was created for Satan and his angels. The Bible tells us that. So what we have is this. We have a loving and just God. The most powerful, privileged thing that you have in your life from God this morning is this. The ability to choose. Free choice is the most powerful thing. See, you have it, you have it, you have it, you have it, and you have it, and you have it. Every single person has that power of choice. I don't choose over you. God doesn't choose over you. You have that power of choice. So in the garden, God said to Adam and Eve, don't do this. They chose. They did it. They sinned. Then God said, I love you so much. I'm not sending you hell. Your sin will cause you to die spiritually and physically. But I'm going to provide a way for you to come back and be restored to me through Jesus Christ. Then he said to Jesus, would you go to the earth and would you die willingly for these lost people? Choice again. And Jesus said, yes, I will. In the garden, he made his choice firm. Is there any other way? No, I'll do it. Jesus died on the cross. And every person from that time on, even before, by believing in that work on the cross, makes a choice. So if you end up in hell, the only person you have to blame is you. Because you make the powerful choice to accept or reject Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus was trying to say here. He said, the sin in your life that would lead you down to that road, deal with it. Because you have to deal with it yourself. Nobody else can deal with it. God isn't going to deal with it. God isn't going to do nothing but give you the opportunity at the cross to make a choice. And the same with self-judgment. Now look at verse 49. Then Jesus says something very unusual. Everyone will be salted with fire. Here's what I believe that means. I believe the everyone there is believers. Those that the disciples, again, that are sitting there teaching, being taught by Jesus... Jesus says to the disciples, you will be salted with fire. That doesn't mean a lot to us. In fact, it confuses us. What does it mean? In the Old Testament days, when you would bring a gift to God, you, often it would be a grain sacrifice. And if you want extra credit and you have, want to have fun this week, do Leviticus chapter 2. And here's what happens. When you brought a sacrifice to God of, of grain, for instance, in the Old Testament, one of the sacrifices would be grain. And, and that grain would be burned. And it was things that you had worked for and brought to God and God honored your gift. Well, and you didn't just give the grain, you had to put salt on it. And by putting salt on it, you said to God, I'm purifying this, this grain gift to you. And salt represented a covenant which said this, you're my God and I'm your person. And you made a covenant to me, God, that you would always be with me. You'd be my God and I'm just salting this. And then after the salt was on it, the whole sacrifice was burned. So notice what Jesus says here. He says, everyone will be salted with fire. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 says this, I'm to be a living sacrifice for God. Notice, living sacrifice. So every day, like the grain offering, I bring my life to God and I put it on the altar and he salts me with a little fire. What does fire stand for? Fire in the New Testament basically is trials, persecutions, and troubles. So here's what Jesus says. Every believer will suffer persecution, difficulties, and trials. Underline that one. That's one I really want in my Bible. See, that offsets the prosperity, doesn't it? It says in Peter, don't be surprised at the fiery trial 
that you're going under. Now, why does God bring those fiery things in my life? Why does God bring, you're going through some difficult things in your life right now. Why is God doing it? So that you will grow and mature in the Lord. That's the whole purpose for difficulty. So every believer will be salted with difficulties and trials. And that is to make me more like Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't kill me, even though sometimes I think it is, because I'm to be a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. Now, so then Jesus goes on to verse 15 and brings us to our last point, which says this, walk with salty compassion. Walk with salty compassion. So Jesus says, if you're going to be useful in the kingdom, disciples, you're going to go through some rough times. By the way, did the disciples go through any rough times? He says, if you're going to be useful, you're going to have to go through those. And look what he says in verse 50. Salt is good. And Jesus says in those days they knew salt was good. Salt was actually changed even as money in those days. Salt brought out flavor. Salt preserved many of their meats. And salt created a thirst. So Jesus says this, hey guys, salt is good. I just came to this earth. The church was in a great array of sin. The priests were prideful. People were cheating people when they came to offer their offerings. And I came as salt to take this world of sin and bring some resemblance of holiness to it. Did Jesus do any good? Yes, he did. He turned over the temples. I mean, those tables in the temple. And he said, you can't be like those priests over there. You've got to be like God. So what Jesus is saying, disciples, in fact, in the book of Matthew, he turns to his disciples and he says this, you are the salt of the earth. And he says, what I'm asking you to do is, in your life, make a difference in the world. By your lifestyle. When people look at you, they do this. They go, wow, there's a loving God. And they go, my sin looks bad against this person. I'm not pointing it out. I'm just living a holy life. And they compare themselves and go, ooh, I need to get myself correct. It's preserving. Do you know what's keeping Satan from overrunning this world this morning? It's the church. And when the church is removed at the beginning of the tribulation, you don't want to be here. Because that's when all hell breaks loose on this world. The third thing is this. Salt makes you thirsty. So Jesus says, by your being a good life, full of salt, you're going to make those people go, hey, I want to serve Jesus Christ. So then he goes to the next thing, which is really quickly, and you'll see it here. And he says this. He says to his disciples in verse 50, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? So basically, he says this, if you don't have any integrity, if you don't have any character, if you're not walking as a Christian, then you've lost your usefulness of God. How many like fresh corn on the cob? Ooh, I'm tearing it all apart and putting the, a little water in there and put in the microwave about six minutes and taking out, and I use butter spray, I have to use butter spray, and you guys put butter on it and then you just salt it up. Now what if I did that and it's all just great white and yellow corn, it's out there, and you salt it and go, you go, ugh, what is it? And you find out that somebody replaced all the salt with sand. This is what Jesus says. If I bought into it, man, it made you thirsty. You're ready to go get a piece. Well, this is exactly what Jesus says. He says, because you've lost your saltiness. Then we finish with this. It says in verse 50, have salt in yourself. What does that mean? Write these two words down. Integrity and character. We were reminded today that when we choose to walk with God, we will avoid hell. That means that when we submit to Him, He will lead us and guide us down the right path. However, it's when we walk according to our flesh that we're avoiding heaven.
When we choose to live our lives according to our own understanding and by our own strength, we are rejecting God and the plan He has for us. Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series the next time you join us. For those of you that like to have CD archives of Bible teachings, we'd like to offer you a CD of Pastor Mark's message from today. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. The cost for each CD is $5. This is only to cover the materials and shipping it takes for you to receive your CD. Again, to place an order for a CD, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option. Now, here's Josh with today's message number and title. Thanks. The message number from today's broadcast is MB3139. The title of this message is Walk with God and Avoid Hell. Again, today's message number for ordering purposes is MB3139. And the title of this message is Walk with God and Avoid Hell. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time here on Lessons for Living as we'll learn how to build a successful marriage. Now, there are many self-help books and programs that boast in building great relationships. But that's not what we should look to for guidance. We need to look to God's Word to build up our marriages. First and foremost, God needs to be in our marriages. When each person is submitted to God and then each other, the enemy can't easily gain a foothold. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue sharing with us from the Gospel of Mark. That's next time on Lessons for Living.